I only know one way. That's the Padre way. I'm proud as heck to be a San Diego Padre. I played for one team. I played in one town. Smith is ready. Win waiting to pitch. There's a drive. Right center field. Base hit. And there it is. Ho-ho. Doctor. You can hang a star on that, baby. A star for the ages for Tony Gwynn. Number 3,000. And welcome back, everybody. We are back. The 5.5 podcast post-deadline of what is it, Dog Days of Summer edition has uh, begun. Eric, how's it going? Yeah, we waited long enough to yeah. record. <laughs> yes, we did. A lot going on, though. But this yeah. is the benefit of recording every other week. We have a lot to talk about. A lot to, has happened since uh, the last time we pod, including the trade deadline. Yep. Andy Green on a hotter-than-hot seat. Yeah. Uh, Yates yelling at minorities. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, and some other stuff going on here. So uh, let's get started with the deadline. That was the yeah. uh, the hot topic. Still a lot of heartbreak going on. Of course, as soon as I ordered this stupid jersey, it's in transit from China. <laughs> Fran Mil Reyes traded <laughs> to the Cleveland Indians for, uh, and it's essentially Taylor Trammell is who we're getting back. I want to hear your thoughts on the trade. Objectively, I know emotionally how we all feel about it, but objectively... What did you think about the deal at the time? It's hard. I mean, you know I'm not one to be objective. <laughs> Clearly, that's why I threw that word in there. Yeah, I already know how you feel otherwise. I mean, objectively, when you look at it, Tramil has some red flags. But just kind of looking at it um, from standing from a distance, I think it's a good trade. Like, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like... They gave up Framo Reyes, which David Marver changed the Padres, has made it his own personal crusade oh. to remind everybody that the Padres didn't even protect this guy in the Rule 5, and that's a valid point. It is. So, like, they took a guy, they didn't even think enough of this guy to protect him in the Rule 5. He could have been gone for nothing. He was coming Just, off, I think, a broken hand well, yeah. at the time, but Yeah, he was coming off that, but nonetheless. You were hoping that he hit, and somehow he turned into what he is today, and you package him with a likely back-end starter, and you get a top 30 prospect in the league. And it's just, when I look at it, I'm like, man, I kind of feel like he gave up a little, like a, a little bit too much for it. And this is my first thought. But then I thought about, I'm like, when it comes to prospects, that's like the main thing. You can say what you want about building a major league roster, 25 man roster about Preller, but no one ever sits there and says, ah, I don't know about this guy adding prospects. So if he's willing to give those chunks, like he knows that's going to rip the fan base. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> by training Framo. If he's, if he's willing to do that, to bring in a guy like Tramel, he believes in him. So who the hell am I to say, oh, well, you know, I don't think that this is a good trade. Objectively, yeah, it's a good trade. I, I would do that trade if I was in Preller's position. It sucks. It really sucks it's, for Framel Reyes to be gone, though. It's a really tough decision, right? That's the it's This isn't MLB The Show, where you can just kind of wheel and deal whoever you want and pick and choose and, you know, toggle attributes. It's a tough trade to make. I think... You know, when we podcasted six weeks ago, we talked about, like, man, I would feel like the clubhouse would just be in shambles if they traded Reyes. Like, I feel like, and barring the chemistry stuff, which clearly hasn't led to any winning for the Padres, just right. the camaraderie in the clubhouse, I feel like Fran Mill was one of the, the bigger guys, right? One of the stars of the clubhouse. So, um, Preller knows that. Yeah. He absolutely knows that. So, that's a tough trade. But I agree with you. I think, objectively speaking, like, when you, when you take a step back and look at it, like, we all love Fran Mill, but what was one of the things I was saying last year about about him? Number one, I think he hit like 350 or 60 on balls in play last year. He's going to have to keep that up. To his credit, he still had a respectable on base. Like, he wasn't Renfro in the 290s right now. Like, it was still 310, 320-ish. Still slugging over 500. Still has solidly 
Will uh, Myers had a higher on base than he did. At one point, yes, but Will Myers also was slugging significantly less. So oh. I'll give up the couple of outs to have a guy slugging in the you know five thirties or so, right. or wherever he was at when he was traded. But I mean, he was an, a solidly above average major league hitter, which was a good hitter. But I had even mentioned last year, like he had the knee injury. But even before that, he was not a good outfielder, right. and he's very one dimensional. Having Hosmer blocked any ability you might have to move him to first or hide him in left field because now we have Myers, and Myers, unfortunately, is going to play. And I'll touch on that in a second. But you could see why, from a roster construction standpoint, they would run with, hey, if we can give up Fran Mill Reyes, who's one-dimensional, and really is probably a DH, which we're probably not going to have until 2021 at the earliest. So we got to eat two seasons of one of the worst defensive outfielders in baseball. Even with his offense, it's like maybe we can kind of cash an upgrade and he'll have a better opportunity somewhere to actually play to his strengths. And then they gave up Logan Allen, which to me is whatever. I think like Logan Allen, it's funny how Cal Contra was viewed prior to the year because <laughs> yeah. he's basically leapfrogged Allen, Lucchese, and Lauer, who I think were all viewed as better than him going into the year. Even me personally, I viewed like those guys I think are a little bit higher floor than Quantrill, and Quantrill's made the jump. Now he looks like he could be... Probably a very good number three, but worst case, a pretty good four or five. Like, I'd say he's probably about as good as Lucchese right now, maybe a little bit better. So you had Allen, who's basically depth. He's an extra guy that you have a lot of already. So you can flip that for a really good prospect in Taylor Trammell. Like, I know people are down because they're scouting the stat lines, but he's still a top 30 prospect, even with the re-rankings going in halfway through the year. And when I look at him, I see, like, worst case scenario, maybe he's Brett Gardner. A guy who gets on base because he has an excellent plate uh, approach at the plate. There's some pop in there, but not a ton. But excellent defense in left field. Excellent base running. Brett Gardner, your favorite stat, has basically been a three to four win player his entire career. He's been hovering right around a league average bat with above average on base, whatever power, but overall league average offense with plus defense plus base running. That's an above average player. So if even worst case scenario, if he's Brett Gardner. Great, you just traded a one-dimensional player for a guy who can impact your team in multiple ways. Like, I can't see people complaining that Tatis is not viewed as Pete Alonso when Pete Alonso is basically Fran Mil Reyes. He's a one-dimensional guy. He hits for power. That's his one carrying tool, and that's all he's got. Tatis impacts the game everywhere. Taylor Trammell is the same way. He's not that level, but he's going to impact the game in more asset in more facets than Fran Mil was. So I like the idea of that player. And maybe best case, he turns into Carl Crawford, which yeah. is his, his ceiling, I think. You know, when you look at it, it's just like, we all agree that Fran Reyes is likely best suited as a designated hitter. I mean, First every, base DH. Yeah. Every, everyone knows it, and it's just like, looking at it, we can scream about how bad we want the DH, but let's face it, the, the DH isn't here. It's likely not going to be here for a while, so you can't plan on having that guy as part of your future, because realistically, if you look at it, and people pointed it out, and, and yeah, like I, I, I think that's fact as well, like historically, people his size don't do well in the outfield. Like, who's been out there? Adam Dunn? Adam Dunn. Carlos Lee? Yeah. <laughs> like, the like guys his size don't normally succeed in the outfield. And it was like, after the trade, my knee-jerk reaction was like, God! Because I was, I was yeah, really bummed, bummed. Because I hate that we lost him as a person on this team. I hate it. But then I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, no, dude. And I <laughs> I changed my name immediately back to Miserable Potter then. <laughs> Within you were minutes. immediately called out on Twitter for it. Too. Within minutes, I changed it back. I changed it back to the to the crying Jordan and everything. And like 
Dude, honestly, by the time I woke up the next day, I was ready to change it back. But I was like, I don't want to flip flop this soon, yeah, so I'm keeping it for a little sense. while longer. But I'm just like, I'm sitting there, and I had this, I had this thought because I found out about the trade. My wife and I like to take our dog to uh, Mission Bay Boardwalk yeah. and walk him up and down the boardwalk. And we were pulling into the parking lot, and I'm scrolling through Twitter, and I see Dennis Lynn, Framil Reyes, and Logan Allen have been traded to Cleveland. And I'm like, no, like what? What is this? As soon as I parked, I changed it to Mis- Miserable Pottery Van, <laughs> and I went on the walk, and I was going, and I, I had kind of this moment where I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what, man? No, like fuck this. Like I'm done. I want to win. I want to win. I'm, I'm done rooting for the good guys on our team that I fucking love. I want the <coughs> best guy that's going to help us win, and. If Preller thinks that Tramel is that guy, then that's my guy. And I mean, I'm not going to be able to go in the past and trade and change the trade. But it's just like I want to win. And if that sacrifices guys who I really love that are wearing our uniform, then I'm making that sacrifice. And I think this puts us long term in the best position to win. There are some red flags for Tramel, yeah, of course. But I like the trade from a from from the the standpoint of like uh, what it could be but what he just, could be but then also yeah. part of me is like I'm like dude are we pushing back the goalposts even further see here's my argument with that like I've seen a lot of oh you know we've pushed back the goalposts we're pushing back the, we're competing got Framil Reyes has had basically a calendar year of excellent offense and we weren't winning with him partly because the team around him wasn't that great and because he's not affecting the pitching the other part is that even if he was affecting the pitching it was negatively because for as much as he hits, he's giving up runs left and right in the outfield. Now, I have said this countless times. Because you've, you've said before, when you were uh, a little less informed, as you well, like Well, positioning could help with that, but we've it learned could, yeah. that the Padres are terrible at positioning. Not only that, like... So it's a recipe for disaster. Positioning can help. I saw a video today, and this isn't related to the Padres, but this brings up your positioning. A video today where... Cleveland in the playoffs caught up to the Mariners, like, and they they beat them like fourteen to thirteen or some ridiculous thing. And Omar Vizquel had hit like a eighty nine thousand hopper, sixty nine <laughs> hopper, nice down the right field line. And Rick Sutcliffe, being the nincompoop he is, oh, why was uh, the first baseman off the line? Where was the right fielder not guarding the line? It's Vizquel. I would assume Omar Vizquel had very little, if any, consistent authority making contact to his pull side. So you play the numbers, and I'm sure they had spray charts, but that's the thing. It's like you cannot help if a guy happens to pull the ball. I don't care how good your positioning is. At the end of the day, number one, they're not always going to do that, right? Guys beat the shift. And number two, it's also personnel. Like You can position Reyes in the perfect spot every single time. He just doesn't have the range and the ability to make the plays. Like I felt like he could be an average defensive outfielder. Mm-hmm. I'd say, like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Keep him out there. But he really couldn't. And it's not like they traded him for some bum, right? Like, Exactly. They're getting a guy. Like, we talk about C.J. Abrams. Like, oh, man, I can't wait to see this guy move up. He got fucking booted. I think he skipped. Uh, Fort Wayne. Yeah, he He's got. Fort Wayne he, now. He skipped. As um, of today. Yeah, he skipped uh, the uh, Tri-City Dust Devils and yeah. right into Fort Wayne, which means he could be Nelson or next year. It's basically fast-tracking him. Taylor Trammell has a similar skill set to C.J. Abrams. Other than he doesn't have a strong arm. That's it. But everything else, it's a similar type of player. It's a fast, toolsy, athletic guy that could grow into power and play either up the middle or plus defense in an outfield corner. That's C.J. Abrams right now. So we just got a guy like that who's probably three to six months away, baseball calendar-wise. Now, I understand the people... Like, there's there's a lot of people that are really upset about the trade, and I really get it, because, I'm, dude, I'm right there with you, 100%. Yeah. But, dude, I see people, like, they're going out of their way, like Marver, going out of their way to be 
dicks. Just yeah. be dicks. Like, hey, this guy sucks anyways. Like, get over it. Blah, blah, blah. And He like, clearly doesn't suck. A playoff contending team wanted him. Well, I know that. But yeah. but I'm looking at it, and, and I get what these people are saying. Like, hey, it's the best move baseball-wise. You need to get over it because it's it's about winning ball games, which is what I just said, not to sound like Mickey Coke. As I've said. Um, <laughs> but I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at it, and, and I think the reason why I like Fran Mill so much, and, and stick with me, because this might sound like a bit of hyperbole, but I, I, I really don't think it is. He went from a guy that was unprotected in the Rule 5 draft. That's a nondescript prospect. To coming up, he has been embraced by the fan base because of his infectious personality. And, oh yeah, by the way, he hits dingers. You know what I mean? Like, he happens to just <laughs> to match. But he's gone from, in a calendar year, in about 180-something games with the Padres, if that, yeah. he's gone from unprotected in the Rule 5 to being a lot of people's favorite, I'm not saying best, favorite Padre of all time. He's up there. Up there. Because think about it. Now, you might say like, oh, of all time. That's fucking stupid. What else have we had? We've had Tony. We've had Trevor. Like, as far as likable guys, then we've had a heaping pile of shit. Like, who else are you going to throw up there? Caminetti? Yeah. I'm not talking about like, hey, I love this guy because he's the best. I'm talking about, hey, I love this guy because I love to watch this guy. I loved him because... David Eckstein. You know what I mean? I loved him... For He's the same beloved I, in this fan base. Like people are sitting there talking about a couple things. So hey, we want to have a Padres Twitter meetup where we all wear Fran Mill stuff and wish him off, which and, I think is amazing. And hey, we want to we want to go ahead and uh, go up to Anaheim. Anaheim to go to go say hi to Fran Mill. That's how beloved he is in this fan base, and and that's what I really like about him is how he can go from one end of the spectrum to the complete opposite. Yeah. And then it kind of makes me think, and it's. I like this next part because I can sit here and mold it into my own narrative. Oh, God. So he definitely has shortcomings, in which we've talked I mean, yeah, about defensive shortcomings, base running shortcomings, base yeah. running shortcomings. He tends, he's a one-dimensional he tends, player. He, yeah, he tends to swing a lot of pitches out of the zone, and we love the guy. We love Framil, but his his personality and everything else that he brings to the table, there's kind of the Padre way to where it's like, hey, this guy may not be that great. But he has this, like he has this smile, he has this personality, he's infectious, he's charismatic. So we love him and he's our guy no matter what. That's the same shit I see with Austin Hedges. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this thing that we have as Padre fans to where we fall in love with a person so much that we just refuse to see any shortcomings that Solarte. they have. Solarte! Exactly. Is a, I love Fran Mill Reyes for the same reason I love Solarte. Now Fran Mill's a better player. He's younger, he's got more offensive upside. But I love Solarte. For the sheer fact that when he went out there, he's basically a kid playing. Like, he looked like he was having a fucking blast. He had the gator chop when he did yeah. the home run. Yeah. He was always pumped up making a play or running the bases. You know, obviously the whole wife passing away and then getting a hit his first at bat back. Like, I love Solarte because, like I said, he's charismatic. He had an infectious personality. He loved being here. Yeah. And he embraced being here and in turn was embraced by the fan base. But you're right about. But see, I don't. I don't know what it is about hedges that people love, because <laughs> he's not the same. It's it's swoon. It's the fucking George but all that Michael, stuff the is careless whisper. I know, but people are buying into it, and that's kind of what I see. I'm like, hedges clearly has his shortcomings, but people don't give a shit because they love that guy, and that's kind of the same way that fr- people look at Fran Mill Reyes, like, like Tim Flannery. There's people out there that are really pissed off about the trade, and they're not willing to listen to any reason no. about it. It's a bad trade to them, no matter what. And like, you have to be able to look at it from a baseball standpoint. Like, you have to take personalities, you have to take your care for this person out of the equation. It's all about winning. 
Like, that's Preller's job, and I, I think, long-term, that's what he did here. I agree. And also, this kind of goes, like, we see all these top prospects. We're like, oh, man, we have a shit ton of prospects. We can't protect all these guys. There's a big 40-man thing coming up. We have to start to consolidate. Well, we traded we three guys, and <laughs> yeah. we we upgraded. We got a better piece. Like, this is part of the plan. It sucks that Franmil, you know, fell into that, and it's, <coughs> you know, it, it is what it is, man. I'm, I'm going to miss the guy. I hope when the DH comes around he's a free agent. Hey, we're here, and there's a spot for him. I would love nothing more than that, but I think you have to look at it from a baseball point of view. And honestly, I, I think it's a good trade. There was there was one guy who who hopped in my DMs, and we've been DMing back and forth. And I won't say who it is because I don't know if he wants he wants know, to be out if he doesn't want his name out there. But he he's kind of a polarizing figure on Padres. Padres Twitter. Well, that's a there. fucking laundry list. So good luck guessing. <laughs> and he's a polarizing figure to the uh, Latin community. That's still um, a laundry list. <laughs> Dave Palais is now a polarizing yeah. community or but a it's polarizing not figure. So this person told me he's like he's like, hey man, you know what? I really think they have, and like I seriously think that the front office, the stat geeks, and all those guys, like they have this matrix of trades, and like you put these names in, and if everything matches up, we're trading them, and we don't give a fuck who it's an it algorithm. is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm and it's like, hey, we don't care who it is. And I look at him like, man, Framo falls into that because you have to sit there as a GM and, and well, I mean, maybe not, but like you have to know that you're tra- who you're trading. You have to know how the fan base is going to react. And the Padres have seemed at at least in the last eight months pretty in tune with what the fan base wants. You know, they went out and they signed Manny. They brought in uh, Tatis and Paddock. They started their clocks. They seem really in tune with that, so they had to have known what that was going to do. But, hey, if that falls in the matrix and the algorithm, gone. It's a good trade. I think as a GM, you have to be willing to make ballsy moves, right? Like, I look at uh, Jeff Luno of the Astros. He made two ballsy moves. He traded indescribably in for Evan Gaddis. To get, mm-hmm. I forget who they gave up for him, but they traded for Evan Gaddis to get him from the Braves. And then they traded Vince Velasquez. I think it was Velasquez, Appel, and somebody else to the Phillies to get... Uh, Ken Giles, right? right? And people were like, "Why are they making these moves? These are kind of win now moves." Like, yeah, they get like they traded Giles with ton uh, with a ton. Like Giles is still under his original uh, control years, mm-hmm. right? And they traded like Vince Velasquez, who's a prospect. He's good, but he's injury prone. But he's good. That's what they flipped, and that that was a really ballsy move. Now, in the long term, eventually it worked out for the Astros. Giles had some good years. I believe he was on the World Series team, although I don't think he was closing that year. Or he's blowing it up. Yeah. But nonetheless, right? Like, sometimes you have to make some ballsy moves. I do agree that the G, the front office, you know, and, and the analytics team, they all have a, a, like you said, a matrix where they have, okay, this is who we value from top to bottom. Who are we going to move? And who can we make the most of in moving? I don't think that the Padres chose Reyes over Renfro. I really don't think that. And here's why. Preller and Logan White have made it a point where they like loud fucking tools. Right. They like loud tools. Even if it's only one or two, they like really loud tools, right? Like Edwards and Abrams kind of fall in the same bucket in that they don't have pop, but they have really loud speed and athleticism. Those are their tools and good bat-to-ball skills. Like Fran Mill has solid play discipline. He's not terrible, right? Like he had a 250 or 260 average, but his on-base was like 60, 50, 60 points ahead of that. So he's not Renfro completely reliant on getting base hits. Right? He's not going to hit 230. He has some discipline. But light tower power. Yeah. I do not believe that they chose Reyes over Renfro. I think any smart GM would do this. And I think... You I mean the trade? Yeah. Okay. I don't think it was... We don't think we can win with Reyes. I think it was... We have these package of guys that we feel like we can move. 
Ray is probably one of them. Obviously, Myers is one of them. You know, Renfro. You know, they have these package of guys because they're clearly, I mean, they could have traded Urias last year and they didn't do that. There were talks about trading him this year and I, I want to say it was Lynn that came out and said, like, he's not going anywhere. Like, unless they're getting their socks blown off, they're not trading Urias. Eat it, Padres Farm. Yes. So, I think that as a front office, Preller and staff view these players like, hey, we can move these guys because we have the depth and we can acquire players to replace them in the long run that will make us better in the long run. And that it just happened to be that I don't think they preferred Reyes. I think to get the player they wanted, which was Taylor Trammell, because fucking a calendar year ago, that guy's not ready to go. Like, you're not getting him for fucking Fran Mill Reyes. No way, no how. Yeah. If he doesn't have the down year. This is a Dodgers-esque move where they're getting a guy. And, I mean, Trammell's not a post-type guy. He's still, you know, nationally ranked. But it's getting, like, a Chris Taylor or a Max Muncy where it's kind of post-type. So I think they put everybody out there. Maybe Margot included, and they fucking said, here's who we got. And it was Cleveland saying, we're going to get Puig, but we're not completing this trade unless we get Reyes. This is what we want to com- to send Bauer over. We want Puig, and we want Reyes. And if we don't get Reyes, we're not doing the trade. And Preller, having to have the balls to fucking do it, said, well, I really want Trammell, so I have to do what I have to do to make this team better. I don't think it pushes the window back. You mentioned that. Like, oh, it pushes the window back. They weren't winning with him here. And, right. And... There's other issues involved where he's probably a two or three win player this year, even with his defense, like because he hits so well. The pitching isn't good enough for us to win here with him, anyways. So I don't think it pushes anything back by trading him. It is a bummer personality wise, but you're right. You have to be willing to make these kinds of moves to make yourself better for longer. But I don't think the window or the goalpost is pushed back any further. I think 2019 was always a transitional year. We just got off to a really good start. And then, you know, took the three out of four from the Dodgers going into the break. And now we're starting to come crashing back down to earth. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, um, I, I hear what you're saying about, like, hey, we're only doing this if we get Reyes. Like, yeah. because I was sitting there and, and... Sometimes that's what it takes. Dude, we'll, we'll be transparent here. The whole, like, we, we were talking a few, like episodes in a row about how you really wanted to trade Hunter Renfro. And I'm like, no, I think yeah. this, this might be the sustainable. This might be... I was ready to trade Renfro like that yeah. in a millisecond. But I'm like, all right, I'll fucking take this side. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, That's I'll take this That's boring if we just but then, agree. But, but I mean, I, I get the... Because people were saying, too, keep Renfro. Yeah, but... Like, I'm looking at it, and that's another thing that kind of bummed me out about the trade is because I felt like they chose to move forward. Like, hey, I feel like they got duped by the year that Renfro was having because I don't know if his improved defense that's in, increasing, it's not sustainable. His, increasing his war. I don't know if that is sustainable for him. I doubt it. I don't think not so. Not at this clip, no. I think Pod Langford on Twitter and I think it's what he said. Yeah, yeah, it's what he said where I looked at him I'm like, shit. Cause he's he's like, basically having, like, he's on pace for, like, 24 or 25 runs above average. Somebody like Puig, who is considered like a very good defensive outfielder, has only done that once. Yeah. Like, it's not, he's basically having like a Hall of Fame caliber year, which he's not going to repeat. It doesn't mean he's not going to be good going forward. Yeah. But he's basically playing over his head, and the stat cast numbers do not support. And see, that's what his I think. Total I, I, think the Indians, total I think the Indians see that, and they're like, yeah. eh, I want Reyes. Like, yeah. you guys can keep that bullshit. I don't, I don't want And him, they were getting so. Puig anyways, which yeah. kind of makes Reyes, it made Renfro redundant for them. Like, right. they're getting a good. A guy who can play a good outfield already, and who's probably a better hitter base-wise. And they're getting Fran Mill, who's just a better hitter, period. So, yeah. I mean, I think you try to cash in on Renfro, but the league's not dumb. Rand Planning mentioned that. Like, Pog Langford went over all the stuff about the defensive numbers. Like, 
He does Reyes doesn't get or Renfro doesn't get good jumps. He which means he's not getting good reads. He doesn't take good routes. He's not efficient in his routes. So he's somehow making all these plays despite being poor in everything that builds up to making consistently good plays. So it's probably not sustainable. Right. Other teams can see this, right? Like other teams can see that they probably had to sell low and figured, fuck it, we'd rather have him than sell low on him. And it is what it is. He is what he is. Yeah, I can see it. But <coughs> dude, offensively, because and it it, dude, it helped it, me out because during that time <laughs> I was like, hey man, he's going off. We got to keep this guy. This is what it is. But like man, since then he's fallen off a cliff, dude. Hunter Renfro is his back to being Hunter Renfro. Since June fifteenth, I sent this out earlier. But since June fifteenth, he's number one. He's back down to his usual. Like he's still above average because he hits for a ton of pop, but. His on-base is back under 300, which he was already floating around anyways to start the year. And I mentioned, like, he's making more contact in and out of the zone, and he's swinging about the same. But the biggest issue with Renfro are two things. Plate approach and swing and miss. Okay, he's making more contact, great. But that home run to fly ball ratio was never going to fucking hold. Right. Like, I mean, it was through the roof. And I don't care who you are, if you're not swinging at fucking strikes, eventually bad process leads to bad results. Since June 15th. Hunter is hitting 216 with a 289 on base and a 446 slugging. That is brutal. Yeah. Now, he still has value because his defense is through the fucking roof. But how long is that really going to hold? Yeah. It's probably not. He's basically a younger Matt Kemp with better defense. Like, he's slightly above average because he hits for enough power like Kemp did when he was here. But because the defense is good, it props up his value a little bit more. When he comes back down to earth next year, where he's unlikely to repeat a Hall of Fame elite defensive year, he's not going to be as valuable. And I think teams saw that. I think the Padres knew that, and I think teams saw that and were like, just give me the better player. Just give me the better hitter that we can put as a DH as opposed to the guy who is really, you know, a 280, 290 on base and can slug 500. Yeah, I see that too. And and, and, and he's older. Yeah, he's older than uh, Reyes. Part of me also was, was kind of disappointed at the deadline because I, I saw him like – you kind of read the stories coming up to it, and you read kind of on Twitter, like, the chatter about what's going on, and it's it's kind of like, hmm, like, the Mets want to trade for Stroman so that they can dump Cindergard, which didn't make any sense at all. Which was, I, bas- I feel like they never came out and said it, but that's basically the, like, confirmed plan. Like, they're trying to reload, which does not work. Right, Eric Burns? Or not Eric, excuse me, Josh Burns? Reloading does not work. I thought that... Or retooling, excuse me. There was a point in time where I, I honestly thought that the Padres were going to land Cindergard. I, I thought that I they were going to bring... I still a shot in the offseason, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And if not Cindergard, some other arm. Like, I thought they were going to bring in an arm. And, like, the more you look at him, people... Everyone is, is clamoring for Garrett Cole now, which I love. I do, I too. absolutely love. Like, I, you need to have a guy like that. Like, I look at the way that... Look at the way that Houston is doing it, man. The they Astros are a poor fucking example. Dude, they have horses They just in picked rotation. up Granky and they're about to make Aaron Sanchez look like a fucking star. Yeah. So it's just like I'm kind of looking at it and I'm like, man, like I love I love Urias and I'm like I'm like shit. Like dude, I went back and forth and we were in we were in group chats and I went back and forth like daily, almost hourly. I'm like, all right, I, I we need Cindergard. And I'm like, do we really fucking need Cindergard? And I'm like, no, we need him. But it's it's such like a when you look at it, it's such a topic where it's, it could go either way, but the more I look at it, like, you need a horse in that rotation. I don't think Syndergaard is that horse. 100% agree. See, that's see, and that's my issue with Syndergaard is if you want a guy that's going to get – Peter Gammons put it out there prior to the deadline um, when he wasn't stroking out on Twitter, but uh, <laughs> posting random, random things. But right. he made a really good point. Syndergaard has only hit 180-plus innings once. He averages about 120 
a year because he's been injured. Um, and he's basically good for, I don't know what he's at right now. He might clear it this year. But he's essentially good for 150. He's still right. really young. But he is a max effort guy. And it has been on, I'm pretty sure on record that he's like, I'm not going to dial it back. To pitch more innings. Like, I'm going to go out there. I want to throw a 93-mile-an-hour slider when he could probably get away with 87. Right. Right? So, I agree with you. Like, I do think they need a whore. I don't think they need a top-of-the-rotation starter, and here's why. I think Chris Paddock is already an anchor. Now, he's had some issues in some big games of late, but I think maybe some of that is fatigue and some of that is kind of learning to navigate. He still has really good numbers third time through the order, which to me is more telling. I think he'll be fine. I think that's the anchor next year. That's the guy barring injuries, that's going to give you 170 to 200 innings, right? They have Gore coming up. They have Patino coming up. Both probably make their debuts next year. Quantrill looks like a guy who can give you five or six an outing. So they just need another guy to anchor it down at, like, the top third of the rotation. Syndergaard is not that guy. Yeah. He just doesn't give you enough volume. Garrett Cole is absolutely that guy. Yeah. But you're also He's going to cost a lot of money. He is. But the he's, Padres should have money to spend. He's probably going to get $30 million a year, and the Padres will have a lot of money to spend. However... You're also competing with other teams. Yes, and that and wasn't that's the, the tough fact. part. Yeah, that wasn't the fact with Hosmer. That wasn't really the fact with Machado. But even like, to a point, like who you're is still not going to yeah. be in for Garrett Cole? Yeah, the you're Astros gonna have, might be in for Garrett. Yeah, Cole. you're going to have them. You're going to have the Yankees. You're going to have Dodgers, the Red Sox. The, Red the Dodgers. Sox. There's yeah. going to be a lot of teams that want Cole. So the Padres are really going to have to pony up, and I I don't think they're going to. The do Diamondbacks it. just dumped a lot of money for Granke. I think they shipped over like 24 million or something. I believe, yeah. um, and so. That's another team that's like, hey, we just we just dumped this contract. Like, we have financial flexibility, and they're going into this rebuild. It's it's called a I think it's called a turbo rebuild, where you're not going in the traditional route like the Padres or the Braves, where you're getting like all these high upside guys and picks. You're basically trading for guys who are a year or two away that you can plug in immediately. It's like their Goldschmidt trade, right? right. They traded for two very good prospects they could plug in immediately. As of the All-Star break this year, guys who are ready soon. Yeah. Right? So they're retooling the high end of the minors. So they could very well say, hey, we're still in it. We're going to go out and give Garrett Cole five years, one fucking 50. Or one, excuse me, five years. Yeah, five years, 150. So you have to compete with these other teams. Whereas I think because they have so much depth where they don't have to trade their top prospects, but they still have guys who are – like Owen Miller is valuable. He's a valuable guy. Um, They have other guys similar to him. You know, so I think they can go out and make a trade. Like to me, my target is Corey Kluber. Cleveland wants to move money. They they traded Bauer. Not be they only traded Bauer to stay competitive, but also to get that contract or not the contract, but that money off the books. Yeah, they don't want to pay him. They're not going to. No, they were They've never going to pay as him much about Lindor. Yeah. yeah, which that falls right. Yeah, the owner said, lap. "Enjoy him while he's here." Right. Yeah. So hashtag enjoy him. <laughs> <laughs> God, yeah. I mean, and, and at least he's honest. Right, like at least it's not you know Moore's with Caminetti yeah. or Vaughn. Oh, we're not going to trade him, and uh, yeah. then they they fucking let him walk. But Cleveland is going to try to do that turbo rebuild where they're going to get. That's what Framil Reyes and Logan Allen are. Hey, these guys are you know only a year or less in the league, but this is five and six years of these guys, and they have you know Allen's a high floor guy with some ceiling. Renfro's or Renfro, excuse me, Reyes is a high floor with some more ceiling, especially if he plays a DH. So, I mean, Reyes could be the next fucking Nelson Cruz. Yeah, he could. Or or peak Jose Abreu. So, they're looking at it like, hey, yeah, we gave up uh, an asset now for another year and a half, but we get these They got a lot back for got twelve. We got 11 or 12 years plus, plus, you know, half, you know, two months of Puig. So, we got a lot back. So, they could be looking at the Padres again in the offseason and say, hey, we're trying to unload Kluber's contract. 
Give us a couple of arms, and we'll go ahead and send Kluber over. You relieve us of the money. We'll get four or five years back of a couple of play. Like, hey, we need a shortstop because Lindor's leaving. Give us Owen Miller or give us Xavier Edwards. I know it's a hot topic, but give Urias. us no. They don't need a second <laughs> baseman. He can play short. They don't. Yeah, I mean he could. But uh, I mean, maybe I don't want him traded. By the way, no, 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 Carlos. I, here's the thing, though, with like trading Arias, <laughs> is that to me, when you're a team like the Padres traded Reyes because they have guys who are going to come up in the next calendar year to replace him. That's why you make those trades. You don't trade the guy at the top of the depth chart when you don't have anybody behind him. Arias, we know, we know that you've yeah. been saying that the last three weeks. Yeah. So uh, what I wanted to look at is people and the thing, dude. I got in so many arguments on Twitter. I have about, been staying about away from Twitter. Well, this is this is like near the deadline, and and yeah. I know that this is a little bit late for deadline reactions, but who cares? I got in a lot oh, of arguments, leak. dude, uh, on, on Twitter because people are like, it has to be Syndergaard. I'm like, does it really? Like, we're in the lost season, so all you're doing is acquiring the risk of him being injured with For us two the rest months of, year. of nothing. And what does Syndergaard do? He gets injured. Like, he doesn't stay on the mound. Like, are we hoping that he gets hurt and he wears our uniform on the DL the rest of the year? Like, yeah, he, he like, pitched 180 innings like three years ago. Yeah, like, we don't have to do that. Like, it's not Syndergaard or bust. And people are like, oh, well, that's who's available now, so you have to get him. Now I'm like... The how many prospects the Padres have? There is always players available. Like the Padres could literally acquire anyone. There's Joey Cantillo just established himself. Like yeah. there's a fucking trade ship now that all of a sudden it's like, hey, I've got this guy. And I don't really have a spot for him. Maybe we can flip him. You're 100 percent right. So if you look at if you look at the deadline next year, and I brought up, and this is according to Spotrack. If you bring up, it's the deadline next year, and I looked through guys who would be a free agent at the end of 2022, which at the deadline next year would give us the rest of that year, the year after, and the year after that, which would essentially be Syndergaard, what we would have got. So the names that came up here, David Price, there's Chris Sale, there's Jacob deGrom, Steven Strasburg, uh, Johnny Cueto, Hugh Darvish. Um, Darvish would be interesting. Luis Severino is on there. Jose Barrios is on there. Like... There's always players available. There's always going to be arms available. You don't have to jump yeah. on Syndergaard. And then I looked at the next year. For people, they're like, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, Stroman. Stroman doesn't do anything because we're not going to go all in on, on 2020. We're not going to the World Series next year either. I get that. I 100% get that. So next year at the deadline, guys who would be on a similar contract structure as Stroman to where you would have a year and a half of control. Zach Granke, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer. John Lester, Jake Arrieta, Steven Strasburg. It's like, dude, there are so uh, Mike Leak. There's so many options out there. Charlie Morton, which, dude, I, Morton would would have been a really nice signing here. But like, I'm looking at. There's always pitchers available. It doesn't have to be Syndergaard. So like, I, yeah, I really want a horse, but I'm also glad that we didn't unload a guy like Urias for it. Like, I would honestly, if I'm looking at it in the off season. I would consider... I'm listening on on anyone. Because you know what? They ripped the Band-Aid off for Reyes. So I can get over anyone. The only guy I'm not listening on is Tatis Jr. Well, yeah. He's the only... And and that doesn't mean I don't love Chris Paddock. But Tatis Jr. is the only guy 100% untouchable. I see a situation. And I threw this out on Twitter mainly to just bullshit. And I, I let you guys know in our group chat what my reasoning behind it was. And to what you said earlier about how Cleveland is always looking to unload deals or contracts. They're always looking to do this. They're not going to keep Lindor. I think they're going to want to get maximum value for him. And you talk about turbo rebuild. Like I said this on Twitter, but I actually mean this. Like I, I can see a scenario. You need to improve at all positions. Like you always want to improve. I can see a scenario in which the Potters, and this is hottest take, like this is sizzling hot. I can see the Padres putting together a nice package of prospects for Lindor. You bring him in, you have two years of Lindor, you make a fucking move. Like, 
you package Urias as part of a deal. If it's not for Lindor, it's for a starting pitcher. Like, you can kind of have a little bit of the 2014 to where you unload some prospects and get solid pieces to hopefully make a run, but this time it works. So you have two years of Lindor at second base. You have fucking Machado at third. You have Tatis at short. Lindor at second. Hosmer at first. (laughs) Dude, that's a solid core. For two years, I'm making a run with that core. The worst player in that lineup is Hosmer. Yeah, no, and and see, I'm okay with that move because you get an absolute all-star in a Lindor type. And you get him for two years, which is going to buy you time for Edwards to develop. It's going to buy you time for Abrams to develop. Mm -hmm. And it's going to buy you time for whoever the fuck else is going to develop, right? Because you still got France. You still got Miller. You still have these like really nice kind of next tier, like fringe everyday players, probably role players types to kind of develop while you, and figure out. And then while you have Lindor giving you two years of all-star Production. The only question is, is he going to want to play second base? Who fucking cares what See, he wants? I have a better one because he's under even more. It's it probably take more to get him, but like Jose Ramirez is another guy. Yeah, like he's under contract. I just looked by the way. Kluber actually has two option years. This is his last year of like team control. Mm-hmm. He has two team option years next year and the following year. So maybe you pick him up in a. I don't know if the if Cleveland denies those options. They might. He's been hurt since like June or July. Since June, I think. So man, if they deny those options, that's even better. Yeah, because that's they, like the Birdman gift was like raining his hands. And they're <laughs> like, not as as they proved with Michael Brantley, who's had a hell of a season. Yeah, they're not going to give him the qualifying offer. No, like they're probably not because they don't want to eat the deal. So maybe you can go out and say, hey, hey, Corey, you had two years at like I think it was like thirty five mil or something. Hey, we'll give you three sixty. Like we'll give you three sixty. Just come over here, give us 180, 220 innings, and you know we'll call it a day. They there's some options out there, but I like the idea of if they're going to make that kind of move, where they're gonna trade prospects, it should be for something like a Lindor, where it's just an absolute star, and they have the depth to do it. Yeah, they absolutely, absolutely have the depth yeah, to do it. Absolutely. Now it's dude, seeing how much they got for a year and a half of Bauer, it's dude, it would hurt. To see how much <laughs> they would give up for a guy like Lindor, but Ramirez you know, would be of, even worse because he's got longer control and he's cheap, dude. Like, like dirt cheap. Part of me sees it, man. Like I really feel like the Potter is going to go all out this offseason. I think they're going to have a crazy offseason. I do too because they can't keep the status quo because what they're doing it's not paying dividends as fast as what they want. I don't know if it's what they want, and we're going to touch on Preller's comments because he did a conference call and some interesting things too, which was. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yes, but two interesting points. I don't think it's ridiculous because I think it lays groundwork for decisions later on. But I don't know. Like, I don't look at the win-loss record as a way of viewing development because it doesn't – like, development isn't always going to translate into win-loss, right? Like, let's look at the positive. Manny Machado is everything we wanted him to be. Yep. Fernando Tatis Jr. is everything we could ever hope for. And there's still upside because his defense is going to improve, right? Manuel Margot has been an excellent player since June 1st. I mean, he's putting up amazing numbers since June 1st. Right. Right? Um, we don't know where we're going to get Myers, but he looks like he's starting to come back, and I think he'll bounce back. Renfro is what he... I think Myers is going to be... Anything you get out of Myers is a bonus. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Myers isn't going to... And this is a hot take. Myers doesn't have to do much to match or improve on Fran Reyes' overall value to the team. Thanks, David Marvel. <laughs> I'm not shitting on Reyes. He's not going to hit like Reyes. Why do you hate our Latino players? Oh, yes. I hate all our <laughs> Latino players. I only own Latino Padre jerseys outside of my one Gwyn jersey or a couple Gwyn jerseys I have. But um, but then you look at like – like, I know people are getting pissed off at Reyes. He's a one fucking 33 average on balls in play. Like that's not – and he's still got like an above 300 on base. That's not going to hold. Good. He's at, he has good process 
which will eventually lead to good results. Right. Hosmer is what he is. He's a mediocre hitter who apparently can't catch the ball. And then, of course, you know, Mejia has been really good since coming back. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been amazing since coming back, right? Yep. So, there are Paddock is what he is. I think Paddock is the anchor in the rotation now. Joey Fuego is very solid. He's a solid back-end starter. Cal Quantrill has really made a leap this year and been right. very impressive. Right. Munoz, outside of yesterday, has looked good. Baez looks like he could be a good piece. Lamette, somehow, some way, is going to contribute in one way or the other. So, there's a lot of stuff there that, like... You I can... also see a lot of Lemmings in, in, uh, limitations Lemmings and uh, maybes. Yes. Maybes, yes. Maybes. But next and ifs. Year, here's the maybes that aren't next you year. You don't win World Series with ifs. No, you don't. But Paddock's not going to be on an innings limit next year. Like, Lamette won't be on a limit. Quantrill won't be on... They, the guys that are currently here Lamette's right now... Lamette's not going to be on a limit next year? Come on, dude. I think this year is the baby year. I think Come next on. year... I think the year after Tommy John, I think they're going to let him go. No fucking chance. No, he's going to be up here for the majority of the year. He'll spend most of the year... This in is the year league. after for Paddock. Is it not the year after for Paddock? Mm. Paddock only threw 90 innings, though, last year. Like Lamette, Okay, well, how many is Lamette going to throw this Lamette year? Lamette threw over 100 the last time he was actually healthy. So okay. this year, I don't know how many he's going to throw this year. I haven't looked up his actual innings right now. But I can see next year. And even if you don't let him go out there, you can still use him as a multi-inning reliever if you have enough depth elsewhere, which I think eventually is his long-term role. So yeah. there's some good things going on that you can look at and think next year can be even better. Because development is not linear, right? Like Just because these prospects get better does not mean that it's going to translate to win. Somebody, you retweeted it, but somebody posted something about like, the Astros had Altuve and Springer and so-and-so and so-and-so, and they went like, you know, above 500. And then the Cubs had Bryant and this guy, or not Bryant, but had Rizzo and this guy and that guy, and they went under 500. Right? Like, it's not... Oh, I think that was our uh, esteemed pre- and post-game show host, uh, Braden Soprenit from 97.3 The Fan. I'd have to... Home I, of the Padres. And he goes only FM <laughs> sports talk radio station. Who just swung and missed on a great uh, midday host. Yeah. But, um... Well, well, you got a problem with Coach uh, John Cantero? <laughs> Not unless he shakes my hand. <laughs> oh, but, God. but you can see, right? Like, you know, the How Astros... How are you? <laughs> <laughs> it was great to see you. I finally get to meet you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but you can see with other teams in their rebuild, like, you know... It didn't exactly take off once these guys got up, right? It's not like you have to build to get to the point of the Astros and the Dodgers where they're basically constantly good because they kept all their top prospects and they just keep plugging motherfuckers in. And I like tweets like that because people need those reminders. Yeah. That it's not always going to be instant overnight. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like this rebuild is not an instant pot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're not going to throw <laughs> your pasta noodles in. fucking air fryer. In. Yeah, you're not going to throw your pasta noodles in and your spaghetti sauce and turn on 12 minutes and boom, there's your World Series. Like it, these things take time. Yeah, and there's a lot of good to take away from it right now and, and it's going to get even better. So... I do think next year, even if, let's say they don't do anything, right? Like, they go out and get a veteran starter to throw in the I back I don't end. see that. Thing. I don't see it happening either. I don't either. see it. They're going to have a huge offseason. Oh, I, I agree with you. Right I, think, I think a lot of guys, not the upper echelon guys, like, I don't see Arias being moved. They'd have to be blown away to get rid of it. Like, Abrams isn't going anywhere. Edwards, maybe, because they have a lot of middle infield prospects. But, like, uh, Arias... Um, the Thompsons, the Reggie Lawsons, like those guys who are kind of like the mid-tier, pro- like they're good prospects. They'd be higher up in other organizations. Um, Conniff's favorite, Mr. Miller. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like those, Ty France, like those guys are like, hey, dude, these guys could be on like major league rosters like now, if not in a calendar year. I think those guys 
Like, Perler's about to, I think, going to do another purge. Yep. Like he did prior to the 2015 season where he yep. took all these, like... Because, I mean, really, who did he trade that really ended up anything? Max Freed. Freed, kind of, sort of, and Trey Turner. Yeah. And that's it. Like, Joe Ross has been a complete injury-prone bust, yeah. unfortunately. And I'm sure people are going to ask, Oh, what about uh, X-Player? Like, yeah. <laughs> what about, uh, what's it, Mandrice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, yeah. I mean, he gave up some good, like... Malik Smith. I'm like, yeah. yeah, Malik Smith is center field D Gordon. You know, so it's like he gave up players, but I mean, I could, a lot of these guys have value because they're probably major leaguers, but they're not CJ Abrams types where like they're drafted and after a week in fucking AZL ball or complex ball, they're top 50 guys. Right. So I agree with you. But even if they don't, let's say they just make some moderate moves and say, hey, let's see what we have with the core and we'll go get like a veteran starter to eat innings at the back end. I still think they're going to be better just because development is not linear. You don't bring everybody up and everybody has a great year and all of a sudden they're just good. Like it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't. So uh, let's move on talking about the future because the guy at the helm, I don't think he's going to be here. I th- We're talking about Andy Green, which uh, hashtag fire Andy Green has picked up more steam even from me. Fuck you, Andy Green. <laughs> you stupid bastard. <laughs> Hashtag Friar Phil takes. And we ended our last podcast by saying, hey, like, Green's just a guy. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't make that big of a difference. I, he's 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 whatever. I don't think any manager, and again, another hot take, because let's say it this way. Every time a manager is hired, he's hired to be fired. The fan base turns on him immediately. Cubs fans don't like Joe Madden as much now as they did when he was initially brought in. And then they made the run, you know, the, they arrived a year early, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like... Mm-hmm. I don't know how Astros fans feel about A.J. Hinch or how Red Sox fans feel. He won the World Series. He did, but so did Madden. But we should ask, we should ask Kelly on Miss Wallace to see how, how Cubs fans feel about Madden now as opposed to like two or three years ago yeah. when you know he probably could fucking run for mayor and win in a landslide. <laughs> but it works the same way, right? We loved fucking Bochy in 98. By the time 07 rolled around, you know, before he left, we were fucking ready to dump his ass. Bud Black was popular in 07 and in 2010. Hey, he's got to win manager of the year. By the time we shit-canned his ass in 2015, everybody was ready. Everybody was ready to get rid of his ass. So that's true. Everybody will turn on the manager first. He's the first guy the fans will turn heel on. And it's just the way that it is. Now, I don't think a manager really impacts the game that much. Like, at the end of the day, you can make... I've said a good process yields good results. But he has no control over performance. All he can do is make... He can make 100%... uh, the right move every single time. 100% of the time, he can go with the right move. Analytically, strategically, this is the right move to put us in the best spot to win, and that player could still fail. True. He has not been doing that, though. <laughs> the other day, I mentioned Joey Lucchese, and I know there's this idea of you got to learn to pitch the third time through the order. I don't think it's a skill. I think it's do you have the stuff to do it? Paddock does. He can fucking pinpoint his fastball. And he's got a wipeout changeup. He's just good enough because he has good enough stuff. Lucchese does it. Lucchese is a smoke and mirrors, razzle-dazzle. Here's the chirp. Here's the fastball that's got good spin that I can, you know, uh, be deceptive with. And the fucking third time through, they hammer him. I yeah. think it's like a 920 OPS. Like, it's not anything against him. It's like there's nothing to learn. It's not about him learning to navigate. He just doesn't have it. And 
If I can fucking look up Fangraphs and Baseball Reference to figure that out, Andy Green has no excuse. Yeah, but everyone says, oh, Andy doesn't make the decisions. Andy doesn't do that. See, I don't think the fucking front office is calling Andy Green 162 times a year telling him, hey, make this bullpen decision. Yeah, but they have to. I mean, if, if the thought is that Andy gets these nudges from up above, like... They had to have voiced that to him. Like, hey, if, you know, we don't want to see him the third time through the lineup. And they have to have voiced that to him. I agree that there's probably a point where they say, this is how we want it to be used. But at the end of the day, they're still going to let him do his thing. Like, I think Dave Roberts has more autonomy in his decision making than people want to think. Like, I, the front office come out and say, we give Dave all the information. He's got all the info. We have our runner from the front office in the analytics department to say, here's the best way to use it. Here's all this info. But you need to apply it. Like, it's up to you to apply it. I think it's the same way for Green. We want to see Urias every day. We want to see Mejia more. We want to see Margot more. You know, we want to see Myers. And the, yeah, I do think they tell him that. But as far as in-game decision, I do not think that they're calling him from the fucking front no. office. No. Or from the box seats telling him, pull Casey now. They're not doing that. They might tell him, hey, you know, if you're going to put him out there, like, you maybe try to avoid the third time through unless you feel like he's cruising. But... My argument is, even if you think, somebody mentioned it, I think it was Fritz, like, guys don't come out, you know, giving up one run through five, like, it never happens. I'm like, it happens more than, it, it should happen more often, because the numbers dictate it should happen. But if, even if you're going to run him out there, it's my issue with Green on that particular game with, with Lucchese, because it lost the game. If you want to challenge him and go send him out there, fine. You need to have a short fucking leash. I mean, the minute he gets in trouble, pull him. Have yeah. somebody ready to go. Wiginter, number one, to me, is not the guy you bring in anyways because that fucking herky-jerky elbows and knees all over the place delivery does not provide consistent strikes. Like, yeah. it doesn't. And I don't see him being anything more than a middle reliever. But don't bring him in with the bases loaded. You're already bringing him into this high fucking pressure situation that you voluntarily put yourself in because you had poor game management. You want to run Lucchese out there to see if he can get through it? I'm perfectly fine with that. Challenge him. Yeah. The minute he gets somebody on with the game on the line, because the minute they get somebody on, go ahead runs at the plate. Pull that motherfucker and bring somebody else in. There is no reason to leave him out there to load the bases and then bring poor Wingenter in there, who couldn't throw a strike either, and then points at the ball as it clears the center field wall. Yeah. Like, it's poor game management, and he's done this constantly. He brought in fucking Stammen. In the sixth! I'm like, you have guys who can give you multiple innings out of the bullpen. Why are you bringing in your your quote-unquote you know setup man to pitch in the fucking sixth inning? Bring in a guy who can give you multiple innings to bridge it to the seventh or the eighth. And that's why I think Preller's comments in that media call saying, like, we expect to get back in the wild card. See what we have, but also expect that this team can still get back in the thick of the wild card hunt. I think that's laying the groundwork for... We're probably not going to be wild card, but we're putting this expectation out there because it makes it easier for us to shit can Andy Green at the end of the year for not meeting expectations. Now, see, normally I would agree with that, but then it's if a you long listen, rant to get to that point, then if you listen to my beloved Ben and Woods on the home of the Padres, ninety-seven-three, the fan, San Diego, um, San Diego's only FM sports talk station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shill, let's go. When you listen to him <laughs> on their show. His comments say otherwise. His comments fully support Andy Green, and it makes it sound like, hey, this is their guy. Now, and now I, I know he's not going to yeah. shit on Andy. They didn't fucking come out and shit on Bud I know Black. he's not going to shit on him on the flagship yeah. station, the home Just of the Padres, 97.3, the Fan SD. Like, he's not he's not going to do that. But you mentioned you mentioned third time through the lineup with Lucchese. So we have this group chat, a uh, few of us here. <laughs> 
It's like me, Woods, Mazone, and Rich. And we're sitting there talking about how sabermetrics and stat geeks like you and uh, it's not all these even other guys sabermetrics have, have have ruined have ruined baseball. It's and, earned run average. And and Woods, he's like. No one ever pitches the third time through the lineup anymore. He's like, hell, Mazone did that in the first inning in our Twilight game. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Yeah, dude. Yeah, Mazone. Uh, I think he gave up like 69 runs. In, nice. Uh, yeah, in, in one inning. Nice. But, yeah, I mean, my reasoning for wanting Green to be fired, I went on a tirade on Twitter. Yes, I saw. For Nate, you have to protect your players. And he doesn't stand up for him. When Tatis fucks up, he doesn't he doesn't wear it. And then even worse from that, like, there's the time a, a few years back when Rizzo slides in. He to, didn't slide, he fucking drop kicked him. I thought I was watching Lucha Libre. Well, Hedges went down. Like, to be honest, it looked like a perfectly clean slide to me. I don't I don't see anything wrong with the slide into Hedges. Like, I, I don't know when why. When you go Hedges... back and look at it, somebody like drew a line. It looked clean to that me. That looked direct. That was like, because you have to give him the direct lane, right? Like, to me, it's whatever. Yeah. Like, it's it's how it used to be played. Like, I don't think Rizzo purposely went out of his way like i'm gonna kill this i think he's just like i gotta make a play you're not picking up on my sarcasm oh, it was a really okay. dirty slide yep. and so what does green do green doesn't say the next day like hey rizzo's wearing one in his he ring. didn't say he anything. doesn't say that what he did he went up allegedly he went to shasin and said do not throw at him there's no allegedly shasin went on record <laughs> yeah do not throw at him. Like, that's the first thing right there. Like, we should have known right there, get rid of this motherfucker. Like, yeah. we don't need this here. Soft. And then you have the thing where Tatis, the night before, I forget who the pitcher was. Was it Rodriguez? I don't remember. He, but uh... Or whoever, Anderson, whoever the fuck it was, throws high and tight to Tatis. Tatis hits the deck. Now, the next pitch, he hit into the beach in right center. It was center, Anderson, you're right. Which is great. But we're sitting there, and I'm... I'm watching the game and I see tomorrow's matchup, uh, Madison Bumgarner, and I, I tweeted out. We knew Tatis out. was I tweeted getting out, dude. I was like, Tatis is getting smoked tomorrow, guarantee it. And sure as shit, dude, the next the next day he gets hit in the legs, and Bumgarner's like, oh, oh man, oh, like, and Green comes, oh yeah, we didn't, we knew it wasn't on purpose. Like at some point, it doesn't matter if it's on purpose or not. Hundred percent agree. And when we know it's, we know Mad Bum, and we know his history and what he does. I'm willing to bet that that was on purpose. So you know what? I'm smoking him as next to bat. Dude, like, Mad Bum This next at... person is wearing it. And Andy never does that. No, Andy is soft as fuck. And then like yesterday. Fresh baked cookie soft, baby. Was it was it Sunday? Was it yesterday where he hit the deck again in the Dodgers series? And just nothing happens, dude. Nothing happens. Like the, the next pitcher or the, next, uh, the first batter, the next at bat, walks. Nothing happens to him. And it's just like... Fuck, dude, at some point you have to start protecting your players. I know people are like, oh, oh, that's that's really childish to want to have people hurling a ball 90, 98 miles an hour at someone. So? You have to plug them. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Yeah, to... brush them off. Yeah, knock them down. Inside. Do something. Just like, Andy doesn't do that. And, like, when I see that, I'm like, that's not my fucking guy. That's not you, my guy. See, I'm not, like... Let's hit the guy. Right? I don't like, care how smart he is. Yeah. I don't care. Like I don't think he's that smart. <laughs> At least not a lot of Padres or uh, Padres brass feels differently. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, I'm sure. So I, I don't think he's done. Like I like him better than Bud Black, but I hated Bud Black. But number one, you have to protect I, your. Players. I think you're right. I think like when Tati's bunting, like don't throw him under the fucking bus. Like yeah, he probably did do it on his own. It was a dumb idea unless he's drag bunting. But they say like, hey, you know, we had a talk and. You know, we advise, hey, try to get on. And, you know, that's the route he decided to go. But that's on us. You know, we need to tell him specifically, like, hey, go out there and just fucking do what you do. Like, you can say it in a way where you advise, like, can indicate. We didn't tell him to bunt. We just told him we want him to try to, you know, do what you can to get on. 
and that was the route he went to. And we need to clarify, like, we want you to do what you can by swinging the bat because that gives us our best chance. You can take ownership of that without and still indicate it was his decision to bunt, but take accountability for saying something that led him to make that decision, right? Like, you don't have to fucking say, oh, he was on his own. Yeah, he yeah. was on his own. Like, there's ways to put it on him that he decided to bunt, but because you made a comment or, you know, had a conversation with him prior where you didn't clarify what you really wanted him to do. And that way you get, hey, Tatis decided the butt, but we took the accountability because we just wanted him, hey, try to get on any way you can. And that's the decision he made, and we need to tell him in the future, we want you to swing the bat. That's all right. we want you to get on or draw a walk or get plunked, right? So I don't believe in plunking, guys, because I do think it's dumb. Like, you're playing with fire. Somebody's going to get fucking hurt if they haven't already. Um, or you have the fucking Amir Garrett shit. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Dude, Amir Garrett's got some that. fucking balls. I will say that. But teams need that. When I saw that, I was to, like, I want that guy on my team. You, see, here's the thing. Like, you have that fucking, I don't know what his name, Keela something. But, like, if you're not going to plunk him, I can, like, don't, you don't need to plunk him. Throw fucking a foot behind him. Yeah. You don't have to hit the guy to fucking, like, you can purposely throw the ball behind the batter, right? Like, just I'm just going to fucking heave it. Behind him. I'm not going to hit him. I'm not going to drill him in the head. Especially Sunday, dude. Yeah, the I'm Dodgers, just, like half of their team is standing on the plate. Yeah. Like, oops. <laughs> I'm just going to... Whoops. Throw I smoked b- Turner. Oops. Yeah. I'm just going to throw behind them. Like, I'm not going to hit him on purpose. I mean, if you're Andy Green, like, hey, I don't want you plunking, guys. Like, I don't want to play that game, but fuck I, it. And I don't think a manager should be saying that to their players. No, I don't either. I think they should let the players handle it. But you can have a conversation. Look, guys, I understand we've been brushed back. I don't want you plunking, guys. If you want to fucking throw behind them, I'm going to leave that shit up to you. If that's how you want to handle it, I just don't want you purposely hitting guys. Like, don't go purposely headhunting. Yeah. Throw fucking behind them. Throw behind them. Throw Harden in at the ribs. Like, do something to back the players up. Green hasn't. And it now, like, with the whole Rizzo thing, like, I was like, okay, he didn't throw at him, whatever. But don't fucking tell your pitcher, don't throw inside at him. Yeah, like, Chassin threw up a fucking meatball the first pitch of the game because Rizzo was hitting up. Yeah, and he just fucking creamed it. Like, yep. Green is chopping off the balls of these players and he's making poor in-game management where I'm just looking at him like every team, every tank team is at a transitional manager, right? The fucking Astros had a, God, what was his guy, his name? I don't remember. Bo Porter. Right. Bo Porter was the Astros like transitional tank manager. They got rid of him. Here comes AJ Hinch. They've had fucking great years since, right? Uh, the uh, Nationals had Riggleman. And then they had fucking uh, fucking Davey uh, Johnson, and they've, they've had a lot of managers, right? But they have the transitional guy. Hey, we're going to get a guy. He's just going to transition to the next guy. The Cubs had Rick Renneria. They fucking shit-canned him as soon as Joe Madden became a free agent. Right. Who's also going to be a free agent this year, by the way. Hmm. So I think that's what Green is. Yeah, great. They gave him a contract extension. He's not making a shit ton of money anyways. It's not like he's fucking making seven or eight mil a year, right? Yeah. Like, he's just making whatever he's making on his second manager contract. He's technically a rookie manager, and that's that. So, I think with Preller's comments, I don't... I, Dennis Lim mentioned it in, in his uh, his chat. He said, Preller's not a dumb man. He's an intelligent guy. So, he knows they're probably not going to go to the playoffs. They're not going to the playoffs. He knows they're probably not. 99% chance they're missing out, yeah. right? So not only that... We'll put it this way. If he would have thought they had a chance at the playoffs, we would have brought yeah. a starter in. Yeah, they, they would like, not no have, doubt. Yeah. So he also knows that, you know, going forward, they need to do more 
with what the roster they have. So he understands, like, the wildcard hunt, maybe they get into it just because of pure talent, but they're probably out of it. And he also knows going forward, they don't have the roster to really get back in the thick of the hunt either. So there's also the comment of if they do go away from green, they're not going to want a rookie MLB, not a rookie manager like he's never managed. They don't want a rookie MLB manager, right? Like they don't want a guy who has minor league experience and then plug him in to basically learn on the job um, as at a major league level. So to me, Lynn's not going to say that stuff if there's not some rumblings that green is on the hot seat right now. Preller can come out all he wants and say he's our guy. They came out and said Bud Black was their guy, and they fucking fired him before the deadline. I that believe. was specifically in response to a question about Rod Barajas. Too. Yeah. Like, Lynn made a point to say, like, hey, they're not looking to go the rookie MLB manager route again. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought right then and there, that's like, hey, <coughs> and that's not Barajas a, is done. That's not, I don't think that's a knock on Barajas. Like, maybe they like Barajas. And when they just he, want, to, they just want to go a different direction. And that's, yeah, and I agree. And I don't think that's a bad, like, the reason I like A.J. Hinch's signing, uh, or hiring was because he's already in the front office he worked there he understood from the front office standpoint like the game plans the analytics but he'd also played he'd also already managed at the big league level so he'd kind of taken his lumps as a Diamondbacks manager he had been in player development so he was really well-rounded and by the time he got to Houston it was he was a different manager right so they could go that route like they can go out and find fucking Manny Acta who's managed and you know managed at the big league level he used to build lineups based on OPS with the Nationals. He doesn't have a great record, but it's a guy who has major league experience, right? Maybe they've fucking signed Dusty Baker. Maybe they give a lot of money to get Joe Girardi back. I know Woods hates Girardi, but the success is there. I mean, he has success. He knows how to manage with expectations. He knows how to manage big personalities. He has won. So I think all this that happened last week with Preller's comments after the deadline, Lynn's comments in the chat, I think it's laying the groundwork to fire Andy Green at the end of the year. I don't think he's the guy, and I think they truly view next year, this is really the first year we're going to be competitive. It's one thing to look at the other side, like uh, what uh, Papa Seidler told us at the Dodger game when we met him. Like, yeah. We can look at the other side and say, hey, we can be right here with you. Yeah. Like We can compete with you. Because they have. They have competed with the Dodgers. Even though the Dodgers are better and they're beating them, the Padres have still played fairly well. I think they're like 500 against them this year, somewhere around there, or at least at Dodger Stadium. But I think next year's the year where they really look at we need to be above 500. We need to be competing for at least the wild card, if not the division. And I don't think they view Green as the guy to do that. Green we'll was the guy to handle everything up to this point. Let's bring somebody in now. Maybe that can Madden, drive the maybe Madden car. is their guy. Maybe Madden. Maybe, maybe Girardi. I really, I know Wood takes him. I really like the idea of Girardi. Yeah. I like the idea of a guy who Madden came from the Rays and he was really smart, and then he got the keys to a fucking stacked franchise. Yeah. I like Girardi because he has, number one, he's managed a very young developing team with the Marlins. He won manager of the year that year. Uh, got shit canned, took a year off, and then managed the Yankees. I like him because he's done a little bit of both, kind of like Madden would be coming off, right? Like, you get the young roster in transition. You have to be really creative with how you use guys. But you've also managed where you have huge expectations. Name me somebody with more expectations than managing the New York fucking Yankees. Right. They don't have rebuild years. I mean, they have re they have reload years. They don't have rebuild years, right? right? That's why I like Girardi. He has the experience, but he's also managed to huge expectations where management is on his ass. Constantly 24-7. Like, you have to win every game, and if you don't, your job's always on the line. He's handled veterans. He's handled young guys. I like the idea of Girardi just because he's been in both situations, but more recently has been in that situation where... We expect to win a championship every year. We better win one championship in the next two or three years, or you're fucking out. Yeah, true. You know, before we get into our, our last topic here, and by the way, I put out the uh, 
I put out the bat signal for the Padres Twitter segment. And man, like I, I know I joke all the time. I'm like, oh man, you guys really tanked this week for the Padres Twitter segment. <laughs> yeah, this time was shit. <laughs> like legitimately. So maybe maybe we'll scrap the segment altogether. Who knows? But there was a, a total of four voicemails that were left, and only two of them could I make out remotely what the person was saying. So whatever. I don't know if it's bad connection or what, but we're uh, we're skipping the Padres Twitter segment, but. Uh, before we get into the next one, I just saw this tweet that came across the wire from our good friends at Mad Friars, at Mad Friars. And all I have to say about this tweet, I'll preface it with four letters. Fuck. <laughs> Garrett Richards has left his start early after 51 pitches and two and two-thirds innings. Color the, me shocked. The storm trainer came out and appeared to be checking his shoulder before Richards exited. Stunned. Great. I'm not stunned. That's fantastic news. Meanwhile, David Marver running to phone to tweet out (laughs) vigorously. Yeah. Dude, uh, Latimer, Latimer Ridley, he goes, I'll give you one guess on who responds to Latimer's tweet. He says, question, is a shoulder injury better than an elbow injury? Elbow insinuates Tommy John, right? But a shoulder? Answer from Mad Friars. It says, answer, trying to diagnose anything from the internet is pointless. I'll give you one guess. Let me guess. It starts with David and ends with Jay and is probably eating Arby's as we speak. (laughs) Jesus Christ, what a dick. I love David um, J. Yeah, dude, talk about Padres Twitter. They like, called you a lumbering companion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Your lumbering companion beat you 15 minutes ago or some yeah. bullshit like thanks, that. Thanks, David J. I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, talking about Padres Twitter a little bit, there was there was a lot of... Uh, you were out of the country this last weekend. Which... Not yesterday, but for the most of the weekend, yes. I okay. was actually in the uh, native homeland of Mexico. Yeah. Roasting in 118 degree weather. So there was a guy that was selected for the Padres, uh, Padres Twitter Fox Sports San Diego segment. Segment that came out and started a bunch of shit. We'll leave it I, at that. I saw that, yes. And then you saw the old tweets where he was dropping uh, homophobic slurs. Yes. And all this. And, and Poor geeks, there's yeah. a lot of outrage about that. And people are really pissed off about it. And kind of like... The, the thing that is unfortunate about it is that Fox Sports San Diego didn't vet this guy a little bit more than they probably should have. But like the thing that, that really makes it upsetting for me is just like first of all that dudes like that actually exist like it's 2019 like let's let's relax um there's that and then it's also like his actions make everyone that did that and which should be something that's otherwise a really cool experience for them now they feel like it's tainted it's like fuck dude like we were involved with this fucking guy and for them to have to feel that way for something that was otherwise really like it was it was good to see some of us get that yeah you know i can't tell you how happy i was for geekster she looks like she was in seventh heaven in front of that (laughs) fucking camera and then yeah. this guy comes out and, and then it's like shit like that like the possibility of Padres Twitter being involved in anything and it's I'll, I'll be brutally honest uh, what the segment was about uh, I love the Ryan Cohen stuff absolutely love Ryan and everything he does great Camp fucking Gaysen, guy but, name me a better guy but that segment that type of stuff it's not for me no <laughs> like it'll never be for me so like I'm not the saying gushy stuff yeah like I'm not saying and that I'm saying like for me to be included in it so mm-hmm. I'll never be one that's included in that I'll turn it down every single time, but it's just like I don't see Fox Sports San Diego wanting to go out of their way to include Padres Twitter when something like that happens right after they. Yeah, because that makes so, them look bad too. Because yeah. you got to think it's a fucking network. It's own Fox Sports is huge. Yeah, and they're probably fucking hammering down like, hey, why the fuck aren't you guys vetting this shit? Like we just put this on our broadcast. It's on the fucking app. All of San Diego because we're getting tons of ratings now. Is watching this. And now it's coming out that there's these homophobic these homophobic slurs and all this other shit going on. And we put this guy on TV. Yeah. Like, not to mention, it also... No one knew who he was either. No, That's no. the best part. And, or it, the worst. It's, <laughs> it also hurts Padres Twitter as a community because 
like, we had, going up to this point, a fucking hell of a year. Preller flat out mentioned us at the fucking Machado signing yeah. a press conference. Hey, we know, you know, the Padres Twitter community, like, we heard them. They want us to make these moves. We heard them. He met you guys at fucking Elsinore. It was yep. an absolute gem from everything you tell me. <clears throat> He's met us at fucking spring training. Like, everything has been going good where Padres Twitter is finally being acknowledged as more than just this fucking, like, we're not a bunch of internet nerds, like, you know, we're not like internet wrestling fans, right? Or it's just this niche where you're not the majority. Like, Padres Twitter, to me, is very representative of how the overall fan base feels. Of course, it's going to vary from, like, you and I, the Marvers, the H.J. Prellers, to the Geeksters, and the Bullpen Babes, and the Roys. Like, there's a ton of different takes and feelings about the Padres, but I think it is representative of the entire fan base. Yeah. And um, to have, like, the kind of year we've had where, you know... You guys got on the radio with Ben and Woods, right? And then, you know, Roy and Angela got the whole, you know, their engagement and everything. That got some some press. And then the Padres Twitter segment this year on Fox Sports to have all this good stuff going on on top of the stuff that I just mentioned. Yeah, the women in the Padres yeah, Twitter. Yeah, women in the Padres Twitter, right? Like Annie Helburn putting that out there, right? Yeah, there's just been a lot of positive influence. So much Twitter. great stuff. And then this comes out, and now it's like Fox Sports is going to come out and look at that and say, like, Hey, it was great, but like this happened, and we don't want to touch that. Yeah, and that just kills it. Yeah, it kills it for us. Yeah, it it, really it basically does. be like if they put Preller HJ Preller on TV and then found that fucking penis meme he just made. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was very disappointing. But um, we got we got maybe five minutes left. And then, I do want to touch on uh, one thing you did mention. I was um, furious yesterday at the end of the game. Now, of course, because I was out of the country and I was a little bit busy too. And yesterday. you don't watch games, anyways. I have been watching a lot of the games. How do you think I figured out Lucchese shouldn't have been fucking ran out there for as long as he was in the sixth? Your calculator told you. No, the calculator told me nothing. I knew Wigginter pointed to center field as the ball was sailing over Margot's head. Yeah, yeah, my calculator told me that too. I guess. Yeah. Um, no, Yates's meltdown, dude. Go now, now play out the ninth inning because I heard it was an absolute shit show. It really was, man. There was miscommunication between him and Mejia. Uh, there was missed spots. He wasn't getting strike calls, which I'm convinced, dude. I'm convinced that a lot of the pitchers on the team, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them, think to themselves as they're throwing to Mejia, "Fuck, Hedgy gets me that strike." <laughs> I'm that convinced. 80 mile an hour curveball that missed by like a foot up before he I'm threw the convinced. 95 down the dick. I'm convinced. And dude, it's not the yelling. Like there's the yelling afterwards, which you can debate until you're blue in the face. Was that directed towards Mejia or Urias or or what? That's aside. That's aside from the point. But his body language up on the mound, his him shaking his head, him scoffing, yeah, I heard him, him waving Mejia out there, and like you can see him, you know, he has his his glove, glove on, but over you can his see face. the eyes. Yeah, and you can see like he's kind of laying into him, and I'm like, dude, like you don't do that. You don't like you don't do that. First of all, you should have been traded at the deadline. Let, let's just get yeah, that. Let's out just of the throw way. that out there. Why are you still on the team? Yeah, You're let's, 34, let's, 35 year old. Having an excellent year, you are not the best closer in baseball. You're never going to be any better than you are now. He's not Why 34 or 35, but still, How old is he? He's like 31, 32. But that's besides the point. I'm looking there and, dude, the body language, you could read him like a fucking book. Anyone that's ever played baseball or watched baseball for an extended period of time, you can see he's visibly upset. And not the Da Vinci Code book either, like a fucking Dr. Seuss book. He's visibly upset with Francisco Mejia back there. And you can see him. And I I get that Mejia is not Austin Hedges. He's not Golden Boy Hedges. Like, he's not going to be – he's not going to get you – you know, he's not going to block every ball. Hedges is better than him defensively. It is what it is. But – 
you don't need to sit there and act like such a bitch up on the mound, dude. And, and showing up your young players like that, especially a guy like Mejia that's really, he kind of, it's coming out like, oh, he's an introvert. So he probably has feelings like, I don't really know where I fit in, like anywhere, <laughs> like let alone this team. But, and then to have him like on a big stage, well, not really a big stage, but you know what I mean, a big game against the Dodgers, a back and forth game to see him just get blown up by, by Yates really rubbed me the wrong way. And I already thought he should have been traded at the deadline. So that kind of already irritated me. But to see him kind of going off like that and then seeing him scream, and if that was directed at Mejia whatsoever, dude, it's just... It's, it's uncalled for. It's uncalled for. Like, do that shit. Scream at him. If you think it's his fault, scream at him in the clubhouse. Yeah. Don't do it on the field. Don't do it where the <coughs> TVs are going to pick it up. Go into the clubhouse. Go into the tunnel. Scream at him. Do whatever you want. But to have it be out there, like, I thought that was a really bad look for Kirby. Really bad look. I agree with you. Especially, and again, I didn't see it, but especially how you described yesterday after the game when we were talking about what we we're going to talk about today, like how he shook him off. Yeah. Like it's not like you just kind of like, you know, you know, tilt your head like, no, okay, give me something else. It was like, what the fuck are you doing? No, yeah. I don't want that pitch, right? Yeah. It's, it's like they the, had, a, I want to say at least two mound visits, maybe yeah. even three. It's, it's they like, couldn't get on the same page, which it happens, but... It's like your fucking coach when you're up there swinging at a bad pitch saying, instead of going, hey, come on, you know, don't press, be selective. And instead of saying that, going, what the fuck are you swinging at? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 that. It was it, a bad and, look. and I agree with you. Like, number one, he shouldn't be here anyways. We should have traded him. There's yeah. no point in keeping him. And number two, let's, let's take a step back and let's look at Mejia as a player as far as how he's been handled at this point. Hot to truck catching prospect who can hit and has a fucking amazing arm. Most scouting reports read that like he's never gonna be great defensively, but he can improve. Like yeah. framing is a skill, receiving is a skill. He's got good footwork as far as throwing goes. Like he can improve, and if he does, and you spend the time and really try to harness what he can do defensively and kind of fix his approach, which he has, he's been amazing offensively since coming back. This guy could be one of the top catchers in baseball. Mm-hmm. And Cleveland. Number one, they had two catchers already in front of him. And number two, completely mishandled his fucking development. They basically moved him all over the field to try to get the bat in the lineup. So they want this catcher who's already young. Like, he's, what, 23 this year, I think? So they have this 20, 21-year-old catcher, 22-year-old catcher, who's been in the big leagues three or four different times now in the last two or three years, playing different positions he's never played before, trying to learn on the fly, all while trying to refine his approach and actually wanting to be a catcher. And I know people will say, oh, well, you know, he's being stubborn. It's like... Maybe he just realizes, like, this is the position I'm best at. Fucking, like, fuck me if a guy says, like, hey, I'm really good at this position, like, or I feel like this is where I can be best at. I don't think I'm an outfielder and I'm not a third baseman. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's look at Will Myers. Like, Will Myers has basically said, play me anywhere, to awful results. So, it's not a bad thing that he's confident. I love that he's confident in himself to say, I want to be a major league catcher. That's what I am. That's what I want to be. Great. He's completely mishandled. This year, they fucking sent him down finally after he got hurt. They let him work on shit. He has been, I haven't checked it since, uh, but I know you mentioned baseball. Savant had him since he came back. He has been about an average or slightly better framer yeah. since coming right back up. Right around there. Maybe yeah. a little bit below. And an above average hitter. You know what that sounds like to me? That starter. sounds like JT Real Muto. <laughs> the last time. Sounds like a starter to me. The last time we took a guy who was young in his early to mid-20s and benched him or played him out of position for a catcher who had a 70-ish weighted runs created plus career and could really frame, that guy was Rene fucking Rivera. Yeah. Guess who can really frame and has a 70-ish weighted runs created plus for his career? Austin Hedges. Yep. We know what we have with Hedges. And I can understand if the pitching staff feels 
more comfortable with him up there. Tough fucking shit. Yeah. It ain't your goddamn decision, guy. And I don't give a shit who's catching. It's still your job to throw strikes. I understand Arias booted a ball yesterday. According to Roy, whose opinion I value, it would have had to have been a perfect fucking play to get the double play. Yeah. Right? Like, so Yates still missed on an 80 mile an hour curveball or slider that was like a fucking six inches uh, um, above the strike zone and still threw a 94 mile an hour mile an hour heater right down the fucking dick to one of the better hitters in the league. Renfro still misplayed the ball and tried to fucking fill it on the fly instead of playing it off the wall. And yes, Urias made a tough throw. Or made, didn't make a great throw. It was still a fucking tough play. And worst case scenario, guess what? Maybe he gets the guy out. Game's still tied. And your bullpen just got thinned out. And you're going against a team that has depth through their fucking ass. Yeah, so you probably was, lose anyways. Yeah, it was it was really depressing, dude, to see. Because I, I I thought they were going to get that win. And, and that and is to not see... veteran leadership, by the way. You want to talk about veteran leadership? Screaming at your fucking players. If yeah. he did. Because, again, it's a legend. We don't know. Yeah. We've, we've it was a bad look. Sides. It's a bad fucking look. And it is not... Veteran leadership. Yeah. The body language you mentioned prior to that. Let's get rid of the yelling, right? Just the body language you mentioned? That's not veteran leadership. And that sure yeah. shit isn't good makeup. Yeah. Yeah, just, I don't know, man. Seeing that, um, the whole Tough Padres scene. the whole Padres Twitter thing with that Trevor Messenger guy, like, that was brutal. And then, dude, just the, the shootings this weekend were just absolutely dreadful. Thoughts and prayers, Eric. Reading, Thoughts and prayers. Reading that on, on Twitter, it's like, God, dude, like... Can we please stop killing each other? Like it's so disheartening just to read through Twitter, and and that's just before. It's been a rough. Baseball, it's been a rough week. Rough it's been weeks. it's been really rough, dude. But yeah, I mean, hey, we uh, uh, what hundred or hundred hour and almost twenty minutes in. So well, uh, maybe uh, maybe we'll record next week. Who knows? Because yeah, we'll uh, maybe maybe we'll have one of the Mad Friars guys on. It's kind of been overdue since we've had them on. But let's get David J on here. <laughs> It's been a little while since we had Fuck David J, dude. <laughs> Fuck David J. But uh, we'll see. Also, um, before we go, I wanted to give a shout-out to one of my friends because I shout-out my friends, too. Chad Etch of the Los Hijos podcast. I want to give him a, a shout-out because he gave me one on his podcast. Oh, and, uh, nice guy. Yeah, he cried like a little bitch. Oh, he never shouts me out. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. And uh, maybe we'll see you next Chiller week. Who knows? Um, next, next week, though... Maybe we'll do a podcast just so I can tell you guys the, the sex of my baby. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, we're finding out. I hope it's a girl. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We're finding out on Saturday. So uh, I've, I was telling my buddies, I've never wanted to see a penis so bad in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I happen to know a guy yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. We're out of here.